The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hi, I'm Angela Moore, the retirement editor at MarketWatch, and I'm joined today by Rich Eisenberg. Rich recently wrote a column for MarketWatch for our Best New Ideas in Retirement series, and he wrote about older workers being embraced by employers. Rich, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Angela. Um, Welcome. Could you tell us a little bit about this piece, about this trend of older workers going back to either former employers or new employers or just being generally embraced by the workforce? Yeah, you know, it's really interesting because it's so different from what we've seen for so long. For for years, employers were not at all interested in older workers. Uh, and often older workers couldn't even get an interview with them. These days, things have changed because, well, a few things are happening. So there are 72 million boomers who are hitting retirement age. And it's at a time when employers really need them more than ever. I think I saw there are about 11.3 million job openings in the country right now. They need to get filled. And at the same time, there are a lot of older Americans who are seeing that working part-time in retirement can be good for their health and for their wealth. Right. Yeah, that's something that has always really annoyed me. You know, we're in this retirement crisis, as people call it. I call it that myself. And... Um, one of the things that people say to do is to work longer. And that has seemed like nice advice, but one that, you know, advice that's hard to follow because older workers generally have had a tougher time. You lose your job at age 50. It's very hard to get back in there. As you say, people couldn't get interviews. Um, so seeing this, this could be something, as you're saying, good for people's engagement, but also really good um, for being able to hold off claiming Social Security, tapping into their savings, and also just for being engaged. Absolutely. It really has a lot of benefits for people who want to work, who are able to work. Um, Now that we can work from home, a lot of us, not everybody, but many people can. It's easier to do that kind of work. There's no commute. Um, So the the tricky part is still getting the foot in the door at the employer. But often what's happening is people are doing it with employers that they've been working with full time. And now they're working for them part time in retirement. Yeah. And what do older workers specifically have to offer? I think there are a bunch of things. Uh, one of them is experience. They've been working a long time. Uh, they have contacts, so they've got a network of people who might be helpful for bringing in business for the employer. Uh, they often have good judgment and wisdom. I think those kinds of things come with getting older. And reliability. The surveys have shown that older workers tend to be very reliable, loyal to their employers, uh, you know, likely to show up every day. So I think they've got a lot to go, go going for them. Yeah. Now, um, one of the things you mentioned in your piece was about an age-friendly designation that employers were actually really trying hard to get. What is that? So there are actually two of them. Uh, AARP has what they call the employer pledge. And employers who sign this basically say that they like older workers. It doesn't mean that they're necessarily going to hire them, but they like them. They want to be on record and saying that. And in fact, there's been such an increase with the AARP employer pledge and their age-friendly employers. I think they now have over a thousand of them, and that's a lot more than they had a few years ago. And then there's another group called the Age-Friendly Institute, 
and they have something called the certification program for age-friendly employers. They have about over 100 employers signed up for that. And one reason uh, people, companies are signing up for these is that it then allows them to advertise jobs on the job boards that AARP has and the Age Friendly Institute has. So it helps the employers. It also makes them look good. But I think it's good for people over 60 who are looking to find a place to work and figure, well, maybe I'll start with a place that says that they're interested in people like me. Right. That's great. Now, does this mean that ageism at work is not as much of a thing or where do we stand with that? Well, I don't think we'll ever get rid of age discrimination by employers. I do think that today's tight labor market means it's not quite as bad as it was before because employers need workers and they'll take older workers. I'm a little concerned about what's going to happen when things change, when the economy um, is no longer the way it is today and the job market isn't as quite as tight. Um, and so I think at that point, we might start seeing employers going back to their old habits. I hope I'm wrong about that, but we'll see. Yeah. And what about the stereotypes of older workers being bad at tech? Um, I mean, we're all doing pretty well on our Google Meets and our Zooms and all that. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I think the pandemic really made a lot of us become very comfortable with technology. Um, and uh, I talked to Carrie Hannon for my article. She just wrote a book called In Control at 50 plus, it's about uh, older workers. And she said, you know, we're not digital natives, but we're pretty close. And I think that's true for a lot of people in their 60s, they've been using computers and technology for a long time, and they may not be as facile with the latest things, but they are happy to learn and they will learn if somebody will only teach them the things that they might not know yet. Sure, also, a lot of these things are pretty simple. They're made to be simple. Even a child can use them, right? <laughs> I mean, my children do. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes. Yeah. Not, not sometimes. sure that's always true, but it's often true. No. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. So uh, does this give older workers more bargaining power if they're uh, looking for work or if they're maybe trying to negotiate you know, remote, remote work arrangements or salary or things like that? Yeah, I think it does for some people, not for everybody necessarily, but I think that's another part of the good news right now that because employers really need workers, there's a little bit more negotiating power for anybody looking for a job, but that includes older people looking for a job. So I think right. you can say to the employer, well, here's what I want. I want to work X hours, X days a week uh, from home, X amount of time. And they may not give you everything you want, but it's a starting point. I think they will at least listen to you and see what they can do to try to make it work for them and for you. And I think there's no harm in trying. I mean, if they absolutely say no to everything you want, then you can probably thank them and find somebody else who will let you do those things. Yeah. So when you were researching this article, how did you find these different um, folks that you talked to? Was it hard to find, you know, older workers working at these different types of arrangements or were they right out there in plain sight? Um, I wouldn't say it was that hard, but I will say there are some people uh, didn't necessarily want to go on the record if they were looking for jobs right now. Um, yeah. But others were very happy to talk about the process that they've been through and how they got the job they did. Um, I found one woman through a company called Wave, that's W-A-H-V-E, that stands for Work at Home Vintage Experts. And this nice. is a company, they started a few years ago, and all they do is place people who are over 50 
with employers who want them to work from home, mostly in insurance, but also accounting, human resources, that sort of thing. And so I spoke to a woman, Georgia, who started in my article about how she did it. She used to work full time for an insurance company. She thought she wanted to retire. And then she realized she actually wanted to do some work. And so she contacted Wave and she's been doing this for a while and she loves it. She, she works until three o'clock every day and then she stops and she has a horse. She gets to ride her horse. She couldn't do that when she was working full time. So, yeah. you know, it's been a win-win for her and, and for the employer that she's working for. That's nice. Now, um, I don't want to put you on the spot too much here, but you are unretired, as you call it. Yep. And um, you're kind of, I know you and many other people are doing this type of life where you aren't working a full-time job, but you're kind of doing the things you want. Can you talk a little bit about that? I think that that's going to become more and more common, um, you know, as, as people retire, but aren't ready to stop entirely. They want to do a little bit. They want to pick and choose. Yeah, that's right. And, and that's what I've been trying to do. Um, I call it unretirement. Some people call it semi-retirement. Uh, I've been writing the column for Market Watch, The View from Unretirement, which is all about this. I do think there are a lot of people who don't see retirement in the traditional sense of it, where you stop all work and you're doing all leisure. Um, but instead, I think a lot of people will say, well, I want to work at my own terms. So I want to work at a certain number of hours and certain days, but I want to have time to do other things. Like for me, I want to make time for volunteering, which I'm now doing, for mentoring, which I'm now doing, um, for writing for a few different places. I had been working full time at Next Avenue, which is the PBS website for people 50 plus. I was the managing editor and an editor for other channels and a writer. Um, now I'm still writing for them, but I'm also writing for Market Watch and some other places, and, and I'm really enjoying it. And, and I think a lot of people are trying to figure out how they can do something like that. I have to say, you sound very busy to me. <laughs> you're doing a lot. Um, do you feel, I mean, it sounds like your days are full. Does it feel different than being in a full-time job? It does. And now, you must have been talking to my wife because she insists that I'm not <laughs> retired. I insist that I am, but I think it all depends on how you define it. Um, for me, what it means is I'm not holding down a full-time job where I'm working every minute of the day, every day, and doing administrative functions and that sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, I'm keeping busy, but that's just the way I like it. Uh, when I see a day that doesn't have anything on it, I get scared. I don't like that. And so yeah. I'm filling the time with things that I want to be doing. And some of them are paid work and some of them aren't. Um, I'm also spending time traveling a little bit, uh, reading uh, watching some streaming movies. So it's, I'm not working all the time. I promise you that. <laughs> well, you know, I, on our retirement stories that we have at MarketWatch, a lot of times readers will comment or write in if someone identifies as being retired or unretired, but still does stuff or still does stuff, haven't helped them for pay. People say, hey, that's not retirement. But I really think we're in a time where retirement is being completely redefined because people are living longer, because they're in much better health. They've got all these interests. And it's an amazing time, I think, to be in the position that you're in. I think so, too. But I do think um, it's hard to necessarily convince people that this is retirement. Uh, you know, when I, I talk to people and I tell them the sort of things I'm doing, they say, well, you're not retired. Or, or they'll say to me when I'm about to interview them for an article, hey, I thought you were retired. And I say to them, well, I'm not retired from life. I'm just retired from my full-time job. And it's different. But uh, maybe we have to come up with a new word for it. That may be the problem. I I've been really trying for a long time. But 
I don't know. We got we can get some more of these minds on it and maybe we'll figure something out. But uh, yeah, and you don't have to convince those people anyway, right? All you have to do is live your life. <laughs> yeah, that's what I think so too. Yeah. Um, okay, so what if someone wants to do something like what you write about in your piece about, you know, setting up a maybe a glide path to retirement, you know, like you work full time at a company, you don't want to leave, but you don't want to stay in the same kind of high pressure role. How do you kind of shift into this new arrangement? Yeah, so that's really what some what people in HR call a phased retirement. Um, now, a few companies and not very many have what they call a formal phased retirement program, which says basically anybody who wants to you know, work for us part time in retirement, who's been with us a, a certain number of years and is a certain age can do it. But that's pretty rare. I think the number I saw was something like eight, nine percent of employers are now doing that. What's more common is what's called ad hoc phase retirement. And I think about somewhere around 16, 20% of employers are doing that. And that's the sort of thing where you work it out one on one with your employer on a case by case basis. And, and the way, you know, there's no guarantee that your employer is going to let you do it. But I think they're going to be more interested in the possibility of letting you do it than they were a few years ago. But what you've got to do if, if this is what you want to do is give them a reason why it's going to work for them it's not going to be a bad thing and it's going to work for you so you can't just go in and say hey, well i really just want to work three days a week you know good luck and and they're going to say well who's going to get the job done and what you've got to do is say here's how i think this is going to work you know i'm going to do x and i think you can get somebody else or the person who i've been working with is going to do y um and things won't be terrible or and maybe you can even say well let's try it out for six months and see how it works and yeah. they may be more willing to take a chance on it that way right okay i need to say we have an audience out there uh, i want to remind you guys to submit some questions and rich if you're ready we're gonna take some questions from okay out there. i'll try okay um deborah has uh asked us how is age discrimination being addressed? I think people over 50 left previous jobs because of the way they were being treated. Others were pushed out because of age discrimination. What's changed? Well, it still is a big problem. Um, ARP did a survey a few years ago that said, I think about 78% of older workers say that they've experienced it or they know somebody who has. Um, you know, I think that the tight labor market is, is sort of forcing employers not to be ageist the way they had been. I'm sure there's still some who won't talk to somebody who wants to apply for a job. And, and there are also, you know, problems even just applying for jobs, getting, getting your resume or LinkedIn profile seen by the computers, the ATS systems that, that do the screening, because they often can spit out um, applicants who are of a certain age, went to college at a certain time. So, uh, you know, what's being done about it? You know, unfortunately, the, the government isn't doing very much about it. There is an age discrimination law on the books but it has been so watered down over the years by the courts that it's almost impossible to prove an age discrimination suit. And because of that, I think it means, it's telling employers they can get away with it pretty easily. Um, you know, where it becomes a problem for them is when it gets in the news, like the story about IBM that came out not too long ago from ProPublica. Mm. Um, so, you know, I guess all I can say is, you know, the more older workers work for, for these employers and the employers see that they're good, maybe that by itself will help limit some of the age discrimination, but it's not going to make it go away. Yeah. And what about intergenerational workplaces? Is that, I feel like that could be really great, you know, because that people work together and they know each other and it becomes, it takes away the stereotypes because you know, actual people of all different generations and older people can 
I'm sometimes do this. You have certain ideas about a generation, either younger or older. And then once you meet people, it's like, that was stupid. Why did I ever even think that? Right. No, I think that's true. Uh, and I, I, I've seen examples of, of intergenerational teams that, that work really well together. And I've seen research that shows that they actually are more productive than teams of one generation, whether it's older or younger. Mm -hmm. um, but sometimes that means working differently or, or at least understanding how your colleagues work. So younger people may be more interested in communicating uh, by text um, and not so much by email or by phone. And you know, you, if that's not the way that you normally communicate, then either you just say, okay, that's how they do it, I'll do it my way, or you'll start doing it their way, maybe they'll start doing it your way. So I think that the, the key is not to say, I'm right, they're wrong, is to say, well, why are they doing it the way they're doing it? And should I give that a try? Or how can I make it work for both of us? Mm -hmm. Okay, we've got a question from Lee. Uh, Lee asks, do you see an interest in enterprises owned or started by 65 plus people? For example, niche businesses like personal training, tutoring, investment advising, etc. We feel that there is a validation in the market that older people can be um, smarter in terms of accuracy and insight, just the opposite of what one might think. Uh, absolutely. Uh, and, and the research shows this too. There's a group called the Kaufman Foundation that tracks entrepreneurship in America. And what they've shown is that the, the biggest growth in entrepreneurship has been of older adults. Um, and they typically define it as over 45, but it's especially been true for people in their 50s and 60s. Um, a lot of people, when they're at that point in their lives, want to be their own boss, don't want to work for somebody else. Sometimes they have an idea for a product or a service they think somebody should do, and they figure, why not me? Or I've got the experience to do that. Um, and they don't have to deal with the age discrimination of getting a, through the door of the employer because they are the employer. Um, and many of them are very successful, not all of them, because no, not every small business succeeds, but a lot of them do. And for some of the same reasons we talked about before, which is they've got a network of contacts and they've got experience and judgment. And so often they have a lot of things going for them that somebody who's in their 20s might not have, uh, maybe also a more financial ability to be able to, you know, uh, live through the first year of a new business, which is always a, a tough one financially. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, let's see. So one the, another thing that I'm curious about that you mentioned in your piece is you talked about how we went from sort of an industrial economy to an information economy. And so whereas maybe people were not physically able to keep working past a certain age, we don't have the same physical constraints besides, you know, carpal tunnel than uh, maybe in many jobs than we um, than we used to. And um, has that been a big driver in this type of trend you see of people working much longer? Yeah, it has. I mean, it certainly means there are more people or grower, higher percentage of people who are able to keep working and doing the kind of work they were doing before than in the past. Uh, now, as, as you say, not everybody can do that. Some people have jobs where they, they physically can't do what they were doing 20 years ago. Um, but increasingly, jobs are, don't require that kind of physical work and can often be done at home. And if not in the home, then in the office. So I do think that that's part of what's going on right now. Um, it does mean, though, that there are going to be some people who may want to keep working and they can't keep doing what they were doing, but they may be able to do something new that they haven't done before. Um, now, do you think that this is a permanent change, the, you know, the embracing of older workers by employers? Well, I'd like to think so. I'm not sure that we can say for sure 
will, I mean, I think, you know, ask me again in five years from now. I do think what's permanent is the idea of working in retirement. I, and a survey after survey shows that, you know, when you ask workers, how do you envision your retirement? Many of them see, say that it includes some work for them. And some of that is financial and some of it is because they want to stay engaged uh, or they want to learn new things. Um, but I think they're going to be, you know, that's not going away. You know, whether employers will be as open to them uh, as they are today, you know, I want to think that's going to happen. I'm not sure that it will. And I, I'm, I'm only, uh, I guess, a little pessimistic based on history, but I'm hoping that maybe what we're seeing right now might change things. Yeah. And do you think broadly, you know, speaking earlier about ageism, that uh, people don't feel, well, one, I guess when you're a remote worker, oftentimes you don't even see people that you work with, right? So right. I, we've had new people join MarketWatch during uh, the pandemic that I've never met. I feel like I know them, but I've never actually met them in person. And right. actually, I've never met you in person. Yeah, exactly. It's nice <laughs> to see you. I know, you too. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I hear about people feeling like, you know, maybe they aren't dyeing their hair anymore or they aren't kind of being coy about their age. They're kind of owning it. And is that part of kind of taking like, hey, this is what whatever, 60 looks like, 65 looks like, and that it's maybe not what people imagined? Yeah, I do think there's some of that going on. I guess the flip side of that is there still is something to be said for being in the same environment in office or wherever it may be a store with your colleagues and you know talking to them and just the the human contact uh i, I miss that uh i haven't been in an office for gosh uh, over 10 years now and but i worked in one for 30 years before that um and i do kind of miss being able to see my colleagues and yeah. and so i think that's that's too bad although i feel that the, the hybrid working may be the answer to that problem um, but I do think, yeah, a lot of people in their 60s are saying, you know, I'm going to work the way I want to. and I'm going to look the way I want to. Um, and people just need to accept it. And I think increasingly uh, society is going along with that. Yeah. And um, you mentioned that some employers have specific programs for phased retirement and others do it on a more ad hoc basis. Why do you think that employers, I don't know if they're reluctant, but why do you think people or you know companies are less likely to do an official phased retirement plan. Yeah, I was wondering that myself when I was reporting my article and I asked some people and and what I heard was that the reason some employers don't want to offer to everybody is because there are some of their older workers that they don't want to keep because they don't think those older workers are so great. They're happy to have them now, but if they were to decide to retire, they would be the employer or would be fine with that. And then there are other employees who work for them full time that they would hate to lose. Uh, and so they'll talk to them about doing this on an ad hoc basis. Um, you know, that sounds a little cool, but I think it's the reality of, of the way a lot of employers work. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, okay. We've got a question from Hal. He wanted to know if there are financial resources for older entrepreneurs that you're aware of. Uh, there are. Um, so I'll mention a few that come to mind. So the Small Business Small Business Administration, the SBA, has a division that is all about um, uh, entrepreneurship and, and older workers. Um, and and I would start. I would look there. There's a really great group that's called SCORE, S-C-O-R-E, and they work with the SBA. And SCORE are retired executives 
who are basically mentors to people who want to start their own businesses. Um, and they're happy to talk to people of any age, but I would say if you're an older if you're an older person who's never run a business before, you might want to find the local score person and talk to them about it because they can explain, you know, what are the basics of creating a business plan and getting financing and the things you need to know if you've never run a business before. Um, and then the other thing I would say is just to network with other entrepreneurs, either in your community or on the internet, just in general, because often small business owners like to talk to each other and commiserate sometimes, but get ideas from each other too. Yeah, for sure. Um, now, entrepreneurism is um, very big. You know, uh, during the uh, pandemic, a lot of people left their jobs. There's this great resignation or great reevaluation or great readjustment or whatever you're calling it. Like people are really rethinking their lives. Um, do you think that older workers are, when they are going out on their own, able to maybe carve out niches that weren't there before or find uh, fill needs that people didn't even know were there? Yeah, I do think so. Uh, I mean, in some cases, I think they are seeing what they wish was out there that they can't find. And so they're going to create a company that offers that product or service because they know that they're not the only one. Um, but also, I think, you know, they uh, they they sometimes are saying, well, I want to find more meaning and purpose in my life. I've been you know, fine doing the work I've done over the years, but I don't really feel right now that I'm being all that helpful. And so they're trying to figure out how can I do that? And sometimes the way they find that they can do that is by starting a business or starting a nonprofit, uh, or sometimes it's working for another one. So I do think that part of the great resignation is also a, a reevaluation of what really matters to people. And I think as you get older, that becomes even more important. Yeah. And ideally, I don't know, we all hope that we've saved enough, but maybe you've saved enough so that it doesn't have to be all about the money. The money is definitely a nice bonus. I'm not going to turn it away, but um, they can do something that's maybe more in line with their values or a passion or something like that. That's right. Um, and, you know, if, if there's a way that you can, you know, we're talking about work more than personal finances, but I can't help myself. Um, you know, if you can delay claiming Social Security un, uh, until closer to age 70, the longer you delay, the more the, the bigger those checks are going to be. A lot of people claim Social Security as soon as they're allowed to at age 62. And, you know, some people have no choice, but they need to do that. But if you do have a choice, if you can push that back a little bit, that's going to give you more money later on when you start collecting it. And that might help you in retirement. Yeah. And I think a guaranteed annuity, which is essentially what Social Security is, right. um, having that and being able to push it and get as big as a big a check as you can for the rest of your life is pretty valuable, especially, you know, since pensions are almost non-existent these days. Right. And Social Security has a built-in cost of living adjustment in it. Yes. So, you know, it's going to be keeping up with inflation. The percentage increase for next year is going to be enormous because inflation is so high. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, with what we're seeing now with the markets being so volatile and, um, you know, inflation, of course, uh, I think that this is a bit of a scary time to be retiring and, and saying like, okay, now I'm going to live off these investments, which are like kind of going all over the place right now. It's, We've been through a period where everyone seemed like a genius investor, but I don't think a lot of us are feeling like that anymore. So if you can keep the cash flow coming in, it's probably pretty good. Exactly. Uh, and that's another reason why I think more people are going to be looking for work in retirement, part-time work. 
maybe we could talk a little bit about it, uh, how people can find a job or, or at least make themselves a strong candidate. Absolutely. Um, you know, one thing I think people in their 60s should do is take a look at their resume or and their LinkedIn profile and be sure it's up to date and, and be sure that it's, it's a winning resume and a winning LinkedIn profile. And by that, I mean, um, the resume doesn't need to and shouldn't have every job you've ever had. You really want to focus on what you've been doing lately and what and the skills you have that are really going to be useful in today's working world, because things that you did in the late 1970s and the 1980s, as good as they were then and important as they were then, employers today are going to either not care or maybe even hold that against you. So yeah. uh, I would focus on what you've been doing lately um, and and then you know, work on your interviewing techniques and maybe even do a, a pretend interview uh, with a friend or, or your partner um, just because it may be a while since you've been in a job interview and you want to, you know, tell your story well. You want to be able to do your elevator pitch. Here's who I am. Here's what I'm good at. Here's how I can be helpful for you. Um, and if you haven't done that in a while, it's a little tricky. Yeah, for sure. And do people have, I mean, resumes and cover letters were you know, the staple of getting a job. Is that still the case? Uh, often it is, not always, but often employers will say, I want to see your resume. And a cover letter is a nice, you know, brief introduction that says, here's who I am and why I'd like, love to work for you. Um, and if, if they've had a job posting, it's a place where you can say that you have everything that was in the job posting. Yeah. Uh, the resume is just a great short way for the employer and sometimes it's computer to see who you are and your LinkedIn profile uh, has a little bit more uh, of a dimension that you can show not only the work you've done, but the volunteering that you've done and the interest that you have. And so they can see a little bit more about what, what you are and what you're like. And I would also say, if you're looking to find a part-time job, to go public about that on social media, on on LinkedIn and Facebook, um, so that your friends and colleagues know what you're looking to do because they may know of a job. And most people who get hired these days get hired through referrals, not because yeah. they answer a job posting. So if you can get somebody to vouch for you and get your foot in the door, that's going to be very helpful. Yeah. And I think that can be huge because hiring the wrong person can be, you know, almost worse than hiring no one. <laughs> so, um, right. you know, make it, having somebody vouch for somebody, I think for the employer is probably a nice thing. And, um, you know, and, and it is very hard, you know, you hear about people getting blocked out by, by these, you know, computer filters and things like that. Um, besides LinkedIn, are there other networking websites that you would recommend for people? Well, that's probably the best one for, from a job standpoint. Um, yeah. You know, Twitter can be helpful, I would say, not so much to find a job, but to be posting things that show that you're in the game, that where you post, you know, an article, a link to an article that you just read or a news, something in the news that you know about, so that if you then start looking for a job and they're looking to see what you've said on Twitter lately, they can see that you've been, you're, you're up to date with things. So I feel like those kinds of things are really helpful. Yeah. We've got one last question for you. You ready? Okay, I'll try. All right. For you personally, Rich, does getting paid for your work give you a validation that you don't get from volunteering? Um, the questioner, his name is Lee, gives a lot of free legal advice, and he often finds he doesn't feel that same kind of, um, that he's being valued uh, for that work as when he does paid work. Um, yeah, I can understand what, what Lee's saying, and I guess I would answer yes, though I would say, you know, and everybody likes to get paid for the work that they're doing, uh, and I'm happy for that. 
but you know, I wouldn't say that that I get more validation necessarily because I'm getting paid. I, I just feel that anybody who's writing for a media outlet ought to get paid. It's just the right thing to do. Um, when I'm volunteering, I'm doing it because I want to be helpful and, and be useful and because I believe in that cause. Uh, when I'm writing for Market Watch and Next Avenue or other places like that, you know, I'm trying to be helpful too. Um, but I'm a professional journalist where I'm putting that hat on and I just feel like I should get paid for one. Yeah. Well, good. <laughs> As you should. Um, okay. So I think we are out of time for today. Rich, thank you so much for being here with us. And thank you to our audience for tuning in. Um, you did a, your article is terrific. All of your columns for us are terrific. It's a delight to work with you and to talk to you today. Thank you so much. Thank you, Angela. And thank you for everybody for showing up today. Yeah. So everyone out there, we hope you listen to our next episode on the Fed policy. That'll be tomorrow. Nancy Tangler, the chief investment offer at, sorry, officer at Laffer Tangler Investments will join Barron's senior writer, Lisa Belfast, to discuss how rising interest rates and quarantine, my gosh, i getting all my words wrong, quantitative tightening will affect the economy and markets this year. Thank you again for listening today. Stay safe and have a great day. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.